Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 83, How to Sleep Better for Improved Leadership, Productivity, and Innovation. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Well, it happened again. I recently had a stretch of several weeks where sleep problems caused me to get insufficient sleep. And the effect on my creativity, productivity, and influence as a leader was obvious, absolutely undeniable. This is a common problem that pops up from time to time for many leaders, and I have successfully solved it in my own life multiple times over the years, especially since I hit the age of, oh, 35 or so. So in this episode, I want to share why sleep is so critical for leaders and the people we lead some of the myths about sleep, and the differing strategies that have worked for me depending on the type of sleep problem. Now, I'm no doctor, and you don't need me to give a complete uh, information dump on sleep, but there's a lot of information out there, and I just want to share with you what's worked for me as I've tried different strategies, and uh, some of them are probably different than, than what you'd commonly hear about. So we'll look at those today. But first, I want to say thank you to a few people for supporting Engaging Leader. We've had a couple very nice reviews on iTunes from recent guests, Dr. Lois Frankel, as well as Bob Kelleher. Also want to say thank you to J.K. Keis, who said, glad I found this, great commute listening. And also Bill Hostin, who said, I listen to these before work. I always get a good idea for leading our agency. You know, iTunes is the number one place that people find out about the Engaging Leader podcast, and it's reviews like these that make a huge difference in helping other people find our show because it stays fresher in the top of the ratings when you do that. So we would greatly appreciate it if you'd take a minute and do that if you have the inclination to do so. We'll point you to the right place if you go to engagingleader.com forward slash iTunes. Also, thank you to so many of you who have been sharing our content on your various social networks. For example, we had a recent, uh, I wrote a recent post, Six Lessons from Pepsi on Engaging Employees Beyond Workplace Wellness. 67 people shared that on Twitter, 14 shared it on Facebook, 8 on LinkedIn. So thank you to folks like Simi Cohen, Alex Stewart, David Mullick, Emily Mecklenburg, Nisha, the HR buddy. And Scott Mabry. Uh, for other listeners, you can, if you're not already following me on Twitter, you can find me at Jesse Leahy. And on Facebook, we are, you can find us at Engaging Leader. Well, let's jump into the topic for this episode, how to sleep better for improved leadership, productivity, and innovation. I mentioned at the start of the episode that I recently had an issue where I was having sleep problems. And it's not the first time in the course of my career. What happened this time is that I found myself waking in the middle of the night around 2 or 2.30. I'm not exactly sure exactly what time, but it seemed like by the time I realized I was wide awake and not falling back asleep and would look at my clock, it was 3 a.m. I mean, And it just happened night after night. I could guarantee that when I looked at my clock, it would be 3 a.m., 
And so when I realized I was wide awake, I went, took the the first action that I took is sort of my longtime trusty way to fall asleep, which is to read a book. I would make sure I didn't pick a book that was super exciting, but it had to be one that was interesting enough that I would want to make the effort to pull that out in the middle of the night. So usually for me, that's going to be something like a biography. It's uh, interesting, but it's not generally not an actual page turner that'll keep me up for hours. And usually if I do that, I will fall back asleep in 10 minutes to a half an hour, somewhere in there. And instead what I was finding was that a whole hour might go by and I would still be awake. In fact, now I would actually be hungry, so hungry that now there's no way I would fall asleep. So I would actually get out of bed and go get something to eat. Either I would get some kind of snack type of food and plop down on the couch with my book and kind of start just to say, well, if I'm going to be up, I might as well enjoy the time and have a fun snack food and enjoy my book. And then it might be a couple hours before I fall back asleep. And now we're talking... (laughs) If it was 4 o'clock when I went out to the living room and the couch, it might be 5 or 6 before I actually fall asleep. And so when my normal waking time of 7 a.m. in the winter, uh, I usually wake up around 7, when that hit, I didn't want to get up. Uh, I felt like I had been shorted too much sleep. And so then I would go ahead and, unless I had something pressing in the morning, I would go ahead and sleep in for an extra hour or two. And so what I had noticed over time, I'm doing several lousy things there. I'm really messing with my sleep schedule. I'm getting a late and foggy start to my day. I'm not, if I'm eating, I'm not being very healthy. That eating in the middle of the night has got to be the worst time to eat if you have weight issues whatsoever. Um, If I didn't take that route, like, hey, I'm going to go snack on the couch, I, I might actually get up at three or four and just go to my desk and start working. If I'm going to be wide awake, I might as well be productive. And then after two or three hours of work, I would start to get uh, fatigued. And then I would go lay down and fall asleep. And again, I, I would not want to wake up at my normal time, but sometime later. So I, it, it, I don't know why it took me so long to realize, hey, I've got a problem. This is, this is becoming a habit. But it, it did. After a couple of weeks, I realized, hey, this is happening every single night. Where it really hit me was when I had some meetings with clients. And I had two meetings. And both times there was a point in the meetings when I realized, wow, I am not operating at my normal level here. I am fooling myself if I think that I am operating at my normal high performance level. In fact, I'm, I don't feel as creative. I don't feel as energized. I don't feel at my normal uh, energy, energy in terms of uh, my normal extroverted side of me. Uh, I'm not a total extrovert, but I'm about, I'm an ambivert. I'm about 50-50. And I, and I do love to be with people. And so I have uh, just a normal level of bubbliness, I guess. That's just not there. And I don't feel that my clients are getting my best ideas, my best sharpness, my best quickness, nor just my best friendship. I mean, usually when I get together with clients, we enjoy being together and I'm not really delivering that that usual experience. 
So that's the scenario that happened recently. And I'm going to share with you how I solved that this time. But before I do, I want to just compare that with some past episodes that I've had. and Because if this, if this episode doesn't resonate with you, maybe some of my other sleep issues in the past have happened. So first of all, in my, early, in my younger years, going all the way back to high school, I might actually have a hard time falling asleep to begin with. And so it, it took a while, but that's where I discovered that a book was usually a no-brainer, a surefire way for me to fall asleep uh, in those really young years. As I hit my late teen years and all through college and through my, the early part of the 20s, maybe even, yeah, probably all the way through my 20s, I had a sleep problem of a different type, and that was what I would just call voluntary sleep deprivation. I was operating under a myth that I didn't need that much sleep, that in fact, one less hour of sleep actually gave me one more hour of productivity. And that has been proven over and over again to be a myth. Now, when I was in high school, I think I actually got about seven or eight hours of sleep, but I was in such a growth mode and high activity mode that I probably needed more like eight or nine hours of sleep. So I didn't, I really didn't think I was purposely shorting myself, but the fact is I had a hard time staying awake in class. And that pattern was pretty much the same in college. But when I launched my career in my 20s, it really, and at the same time launched my family, it was more of a purposeful deprivation that I needed to be very, uh, I needed to deliver a lot at work and I had a lot of deadlines to meet and I often pulled all-nighters at work, but even if I wasn't pulling an all-nighter, I was often working into the evening um, and getting a very early start in the morning in order to just fit it all in, in order to fit in exercise, to fit in family time, and to fit in work. And so I often got, uh, it was probably a luxury to, to hit seven hours, usually it would be six hours or less. And then, um, it, especially when you factor in the occasional all-nighters that I pulled at work, or the mostly all-nighters, uh, I got a lot less. And I tell you, there's a just first of all, there's a myth over time that you can consistently short yourself and you you feel that you are probably, you think that nobody notices, you think you're pulling it off. And there's been enough studies that show that you really aren't, that you may, people may not realize why you are you the way you are. They may not realize that you're short on sleep, but what they do know, realize is that you're not that smart and that you're not intelligent and you're not clever. In other words, whether they realize you're sleepy or not is is beside the point. They are getting a less perfect picture of you. They are getting this less successful, less energetic, less creative, less sharp person. They're getting someone who doesn't have the true executive presence, somebody who doesn't fully have it all together. And and maybe they'll be kind and they'll chalk it up to, oh, he's not getting enough sleep. But more likely people will just think that, oh, he's not that smart. Or, oh, she's, does, she's uh, just a distracted personality. So that was during my 20s. 
In my 30s, I wisened up. I realized that I wasn't really doing myself a favor, and I made it a bigger priority to get consistently get enough sleep. And I believe, and my performance, I think, improved. Now, I apparently I did pretty well in my 20s because I got promotions and and uh, bonuses and raises, and clients loved me and so forth. But in hindsight, I really wasn't performing with my, the full level of creativity and insight and social intelligence that I could have. The, the people really weren't seeing the me, the real me. And my impact could have been a lot greater. So in my 30s, I, I, I changed my ways. But then in my mid-30s, I th- which I think is rather common, I started actually having problems either falling asleep or staying asleep. For one thing, I had some sports injuries that made it uh, painful for me to sleep in certain positions, and one of which was my back. I, I couldn't a- actually sleep on my back, which is really my favorite way to sleep. I, In fact, even when I was having that pain, I would wake up in the middle of the night laying on my back. That that's if I, I would just sort of naturally roll onto my back. And that caused a pain in my tailbone area that within 10 or 15 minutes would wake me up. So that was sort of constantly an issue every night. And then I I actually had another uh, sports injury that made it so that I could not sleep on my left side for more than 10 or 15 minutes either. So for a while there, I really only had one sleeping position that was comfortable for me. and, And it's very difficult to have a decent night's sleep when you only can stay in one position. So I had that, and also, I, I, from talking to lots of people, I, it sounds like it's fairly common that when people get into their their uh, middle-aged years or so, it's they're more likely to either have a problem falling asleep or staying asleep. Some of that may be physical-related, as I was explaining. Some of it is uh, maybe stress-related, different types of stress can keep you awake. And some of it is probably just bad habits that either we were able to get away with when we were younger without them affecting our sleep, or maybe there are new habits that have crept in. And some of that was true for me. And so as I, in my mid to late 30s, started to grapple with that issue and found, did research, did some trial and error and found some things that worked for me. And so was able to then get back to having decent sleep. And then, I don't know, a year or two later, I had another bout of uh, sleep problems. I think the very first thing I had was a problem falling asleep. And then a couple couple years later, I had a problem staying asleep. I might wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, for example, and then not be able to get back to sleep. And so I think I've had maybe four or five cases. The This last one was probably the fourth or fifth time. And this is the first time I've had this very consistent waking up every single night at about the same time and not being able to get back to sleep for hours like that. I, in the past, it was more like maybe an hour or so, but this was this was definitely harder to deal with. So here's another myth about sleep, that sleep is a luxury and we just don't have time to take that luxury of getting a full seven, eight, or nine hours of sleep. The reality is, who has time to be tired? If if shorting yourself by 30 or 60 or two hours, uh, 30 or 60 minutes or two hours of sleep is... A, 
going to make you less effective all day long. The math just doesn't add up. Just take that, just just figure out, add each night 15 minutes of sleep until you find yourself fully rested. And then you will see how well you can operate. And And when you see what that is, it's probably only a factor of one hour or so to, to then give yourself a full day of maximum energy, maximum positive mood, and maximum productivity and creativity, it's just a no-brainer. It's an absolute solid return on investment. Here's another myth that you can make up for lost sleep, for sleep that you lose during the week, you can make that up on the weekends. That's an absolute uh, myth. The problem is that there's what's something called sleep debt, and it is cumulative, and it accumulates very quickly. So when you try to catch up on weekends, it may, it may sort of help you get caught up for a day or two. But first of all, what happens is you end up on Monday actually getting blue, feeling blue because your body is now almost like having a jet lag because you've been getting lots of sleep on the weekend, and now here you shorted yourself again for Monday. And then secondly, if you short yourself for a couple nights during the week, by Wednesday, you're, you're shorted. You are in sleep deprivation mode, and so you're walking around more like a zombie, or at least in an impaired state. Another uh, myth is that alcohol helps you sleep. And I'm sure you've probably heard the facts on this, that it actually doesn't, that if you have a, a nightcap or a few drinks before in, in the several hours before bedtime, that maybe it's it's may help you relax at the time, may help you feel more sleepy, but it's going you, you may fall asleep more quickly, but it won't help you sleep through the night. You're going to have the dehydration kick in, which is caused by the alcohol. You're going to have um, more likely have a more shallow sleep, and so all the very productive brain activity that happens during sleep is l- less likely to happen. You're not going to get that deep restorative sleep. And then here is one final myth about sleep that I want to share with you. I actually didn't realize this until just now. The myth is that it is better to stay in bed if you can't sleep. And that is a myth. Instead, the experts recommend that if you can't sleep, you should get up out of bed. That may Reserve the bed for sleeping. You want your mind to think of your bed as a place to sleep. So do something that's calm and relaxing and not taxing on your mind. Do that for maybe 20 minutes and then your body's going to be ready to try sleep again. So that may actually explain why I often, when I can't sleep, I'll find my way out to a couch and that's usually where I, 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 I am finally able to get to sleep. But this advice would say, look, once you realize that you're wide awake in bed, just get out of bed right at that moment, then head out to the couch, read for a while and either fall asleep back on the couch or in about 20 minutes, go get back in bed. These myths and facts that I'm sharing with you come from a report that just came out in the fall of 2013 from the Center for Creative Leadership. The report's called Sleep Well, Lead Well, How Better Sleep Can Improve Leadership, Boost Productivity, and Spark Innovation. And I will share a link with that in our show notes for this episode. I'll also provide a link to an article called Drowsy Driving Just as Dangerous as Drunk Driving. This came out in mid-2012, and it's one of several studies that I've read that show that when you have sleep deprivation, 
you are actually just as dangerous when you're driving as a drunk driver. Now, maybe you would never drive drunk, but I bet you also wouldn't show up at a business meeting drunk. And yet, the same facts they they will show up in terms of your business performance. There was a great article on Harvard Business Review's website in May of 2013 that I've uh, shared a few times on Twitter and LinkedIn that shows, and I'll provide a link in our show notes, but it, it compares your relative performance based on how much sleep you have and compares that with your relative performance based on how much alcohol you've drunk, what your blood alcohol is. And it's it's very much... A, a, an exact uh, one-to-one relationship that the effect on your performance in all areas of life, but including your, your business performance, of even a moderate level fatigue is equivalent to or greater than what's considered an acceptable level for alcohol intoxication. So real quick, here are eight reasons why it's routinely getting enough sleep is a very wise investment. First of all, greater mental focus. And mental focus is a key factor to executive presence. Number two, improved memory and judgment. Number three, improved metabolism. I don't know if you knew that, but when you get enough sleep, your your body is able to metabolize better and you have more energy and you're also less likely to put on weight. Number four is also related to weight, but there's, when you're getting enough sleep, you're more likely to take in fewer calories because if you're like me, when you aren't getting enough sleep, you're going to try different things to keep you awake when you're driving or in a meeting. And a lot of those end up being snacks or energy drinks or frappes, uh, whatever, that are all different types of high-calorie um, foods, high-calorie, low-nutrition Number five, you'll have fewer illnesses due to a stronger immune system. Number six, reduced likelihood of high blood pressure, heart attack, and stroke. Number seven, reduced risk of anger, anxiety, and depression. And number eight, increased patience and graciousness with coworkers, customers, and family. My family would definitely say that it's pretty obvious when I haven't gotten enough sleep. I'm... Uh, just don't have as positive and productive of a mood. I'm much more likely to be short-tempered. So what has worked for me in terms of going to sleep when I want to and either staying asleep or uh, all night long or if I do wake up in the middle of the night, getting back to sleep without any issues? It's interesting that I wrote a blog post Last, uh, I wrote a blog post in July of 2013, and I shared five tips at that time. And that list still looks good to me now, except uh, having more recently uh, struggled through the problem, I have several other tips to share, ones that I even knew about back in July, but it just wasn't as fresh of an experience for me. The five that I shared, I shared in July are... Five tips that come straight from the National Sleep Foundation, and they actually are things that have worked for me. And so back in at that time in July 2013, I couldn't think of anything better to do than to share these tips from the National Sleep Foundation and comment a little on them. So this is this will be kind of interesting. I'll share sort of the more conventional wisdom, if you will, and then I'll share some of the newer tips, or at least the the more recently one uh, more recently 
used tips that I've had. So, so number one from the National Sleep Foundation is wake up at roughly the same time every morning. Now this strengthens your circadian rhythms and it just gets helps your body get ready to sleep at night. It seems maybe counterintuitive that the time you wake up in the morning is going to affect your sleep at night, but it it gets your body, that's when the pattern is kind of set when you wake up. If there's, it's also important when you go to bed, but of the two, it's when you wake up is probably the, the more key in terms of getting your body on a pattern. And it's best if you don't vary that between the weekdays and weekends. So for me, I tend to, in the wintertime, I wake up at 7 o'clock uh, pretty much seven days a week. In the summertime, I'm, I tend to wake up at either 5 or 6. I just find that I, I operate just perfectly well with less sleep in the summer, and I have a harder um, th- than I do in the winter, maybe because I'm getting a lot more sunlight and more natural exercise. And in the winter, I, I just don't get as much exercise and as much sunlight, and I, ha- and I struggle to w- get out of bed when it's pitch black outside. So... Uh, for whatever reason, I'm I'm perfectly happy to wake up at five or six in the summer. I usually start with six o'clock, and then if I feel like I'm, I, I, it's it's actually more than enough, I start backing up my clock to five thirty or even five. So wake up at roughly the same time every morning. I mean, you may modify that on a different seasons of the year, like I do, but but um, generally the same time. And when you look into that, they say it's really important keep within a, at least within a sixty minute range. So don't wake up at 7 one day and at 8.30 the next day. It's it's okay maybe to wake up at 7 one day and 7.15 the next day. But I just find it's when I wake up at the same time every day, exactly the same time, my body is, is uh, really gets in the, the habit and it, it all goes more like clockwork. Number two, follow a bedtime routine starting at least 30 minutes before bedtime in order to let your body and mind wind down. As I said, I like to read before bed, so a relaxing book is definitely part of my bedtime routine. I find it interesting in the huge bestseller book, Four Hour Workweek, that author Tim Ferriss recommends reading fiction before bed. Now, I would agree that if there's a book that is too related to work, uh, for example, if I read a business book, or a communication book, or something like leadership book at bedtime, it's going to get my mind churning about work-related stuff, and I won't wind down and go to sleep. But I, if I read a really good page-turner type fiction, uh, it actually will make me, it'd be so stimulating to me that I'll stay up way into the night reading it. For example, a John Grisham novel, I just can't, I have a hard time putting those down. So I will, my what works really for, well for me are biographies. They're interesting, but uh, I will usually fall asleep within five or ten minutes of reading them. Other people get relaxation from watching TV, um, although as we'll talk in a minute, that has some risks as well. But uh, some late chit-chat with your spouse, uh, whatever your bedtime routine is, it just needs to be stuff that to help your uh, body and mind wind down. It could be some stretching. I, there was a period where I was doing some yoga before bed and found that helpful as well. Number three, avoid screen time for at least an hour before bed. So that basically we're talking about, about anything with a glowing screen that can disrupt your sleep rhythms. And it 
it gets in the way of the release of your of your of a hormone called melatonin. In addition, if it's interactive screen time, that's even worse. So that's you're interacting with Facebook on your smartphone or on your computer, uh, or you're doing email or or web research or heaven forbid work. Those things really stimulate your brain and makes it much more likely that you'll stay up later. Now, what's the the big notable exception for me is the Amazon Paperwhite. It's a it's a Kindle product, but it doesn't have the typical glowing screen like a tablet or smartphone or computer does. It's it's a lot more like just having a book light on your book. And why that's important for me is that when I was in high school and college, I used to read myself to sleep just with like a, a reading with a, with a regular lamp. But my dear wife Erin is extremely sensitive to light at bedtime. And so when I married her, there went my opportunity to have a lamp. And so for years, either I just didn't get to sleep, I just didn't get to do my normal routine of, of reading in bed, uh, or I would try different book lights. But I, I just very rarely found it. It was most of the time the book lights just got in the way of the experience. They didn't help me. Uh, calm down. They, you're fumbling with them, or they were too bright, or they were shining in Aaron's eyes anyway. Um, but I have been absolutely delighted with the Amazon Paperwhite. It's just the right amount of light. You can adjust it up or down. It stays right on the, the screen, and it just it just works great. I can read that, and I don't get stimulated. I fall asleep in five or ten minutes. If I try to read the same book on my iPad, for example it will more than likely keep me awake for 30 to 60 minutes. That glowing screen definitely disrupts me. Number four, avoid other stimulating activities, such as discussing work or family problems with your spouse. Uh, may go without saying, but I can't tell you the number of times that I will be trying to settle into bed and my wife picks that moment to ask me, so how, how did it go at work today? And it's, it's, to me, it's like, wow, I would much rather, there's a time that I would enjoy talking about that, but right before bed is the, is the absolute, uh, for me, the wrong time. It just gets my, my mind churning. Similarly, if there are family problems, uh, that, or just, you know, honey, we need to have a talk. Boy, if, if you can find some other time to do that instead of in that, hour before bedtime, um, do that. It's when you're having a conversation with your spouse, try to clear the time. Is this a good time to talk about such and such, um, rather than, than launching into it. And I've done the same with her. So I'm not definitely not blaming her. I'm just sharing that as an example of what I've experienced. And then number five, uh, coming from the national sleep foundation is avoid snacks, drinks, and especially alcohol, for the last one to three hours before bed. All these things, snacks, drinks, and alcohol, can prevent the deep sleep that you need. And also, if you, if you eat too, in that last two or three hours before bed, you're more, you're more likely to um, gain weight or, or certainly not lose weight if you're trying to lose weight because your, your body is trying to, your metabolism at night is really trying to uh, reset itself. It's a great time to burn fat. 
And instead, if you put food in there, your your uh, metabolism is then going to be working all night on that food. So it's it goes against some of those good health principles. Also, caffeine is included in this snacks, drinks, and alcohol. And you may need to, to start skipping that even earlier, not just one to three hours before bed, but uh, more because it can actually take six to eight hours for caffeine's effects to wear off completely. So I really... By noon or one, I'm kind of done with caffeine for the day. Now, the other, those are the five that um, the National Sleep Foundation recommends, and I personally have found those helpful as well. But here's a few that I had forgotten about that make a big difference for me. Number six are one or more natural remedies. I am not a big proponent of pharmaceuticals. So I have not tried any of the products that are available uh, on the marketplace or through a prescription. And, and I, I just tend to naturally be kind of leery of of taking a drug that could cause uh, a habit to form or something like that. But I have had good success with some natural remedies that you can find at just about any natural food store or uh, online, or and some of these are even available, getting to become available at the bigger grocery stores. The one that is sort of my uh, normal fallback, it almost always works, is called Calms Forte, C-A-L-M-E-S, in a separate word, F-O-R-T-E. You just take one of these pellets uh, before bedtime, at, at bedtime, and um, you kind of let them melt under your tongue. They taste like grass, I have to admit. They're not the greatest tasting, but they're not horrible. And th- where this works is if, you, if you're the type that you can't sleep because your mind is kind of racing and thinking through problems at work or problems with family or here's what i got to do tomorrow, this is my to-do list, that is a natural, that, that, that's sort of the uh, obvious indicator that y- you would probably benefit from taking Calm's Forte. Or if you wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep because your mind's racing, Calm's Forte is a, is a good one. I sometimes have to take it, and then if it doesn't work in, in 10 or 15 minutes, I take a second dose. There's another one called Coffea, C-O-F-F-E-A. I use this if the reason I'm having a hard time sleeping is because I broke that caffeine rule. A lot of times I'll be not able to sleep and I'll think, oh yeah, darn, I did have that coffee at four o'clock. Or, oh, I had that decaf coffee, but maybe it wasn't, maybe they screwed up and they gave me regular. Or if I if I even just drink like a, a Coke too close to bedtime, even though it doesn't have as much caffeine as coffee in that last couple hours before bed, that, that, that'll be too much caffeine for me. So again, that is coffea, it's C-O-F-F-E-A. The third one is called, is melatonin. I mentioned melatonin earlier that that is a natural hormone that your body produces. My mother swears by melatonin. Uh, she takes two of these little uh, capsules, not capsules, two of these little, little tiny tablets under her tongue about 20 minutes before bedtime. And then if she it does wake up in the middle of the night, she'll she'll take that. Now, none of these do I none of these are meant to be taken every night. This is only when you kind of get into one of those periods where you're you're having sleep problems. So if she notices, for example, that she's been waking up every night at 3 a.m. and she's had that exact experience, she'll take a, a couple melatonins 20 minutes before bed and then she'll take it again if she wakes up at 3 a.m. And, and she says it usually takes a week or two before 
it solves it, but then it solves it permanently, and she might not have that issue again for years. She does say that she often has problems sleeping at least the first night in a, I mean when she's traveling at least the first night in a new place and so she always takes melatonin with her and takes some uh, that uh, that at least that first night when she's traveling and uh, the fourth type of natural remedy are what's called Bach remedies and you can if you just google that it's Bach like the like Johann Sebastian Bach these are drops that you can either put under your tongue or put in your drink or your water. And um, there's different ones available out there. And I've, from time to time, have found them helpful. It's now you'd say, well, if Calm's Forte works so well for you, why do these other ones, why even bother with these other types? And I, I don't know. Sometimes one works and, and one doesn't. The obvious is when it's caffeine related, I tend to do well with kaffia. Sometimes I take both Calm's Forte and Coffee if I'm not sure why I'm not falling asleep. But this most recent time that I had, uh, it was not it, where I was waking up around three every morning. The Calm's Forte and Coffee just didn't do it. I don't it, so whatever was keeping me awake that didn't help. The melatonin actually seemed to make a bigger difference this time, as well as these other. Uh, four ideas that I'm going to share next. So that was number six. Number seven is a white noise app. And there's lots of white no- ways to get white noise, um, including just running a fan in your room, for example. But having some sort of hum or n- just a, 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 a certain level of noise can help drown out other noises in the house or in your neighborhood. And also they can just be a kind of soothing. If you've ever fallen asleep on the plane or when you were a kid and your parents were driving you around and you just always would fall asleep in the car like I did, that that sort of hum can be very soothing. And so this, this was actually a tip I received from Tom Rath in his book, Eat, Move, Sleep. And we interviewed him on this show, of course, a while back on episode 58. And he told me about these apps that are out there for your iPhone or your Android that will play uh, different types of white noise you can choose. And so the one, I did that uh, right after talking to him and learning about that. I got a free app called White Noise Light. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And that worked uh, great. Um, and And then I forgot about it. And so I wasn't using it. And so that was something I started back up doing this time when I was having the 3 a.m. issue. Number eight is go to bed on an empty stomach, but not too empty. Now, this my, my conventional wisdom would be a lot of people say go to bed on an empty stomach because it's better for your metabolism and managing your weight and so forth. And I generally would agree, except that I found it's from when I, when I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning, if I went to bed on a completely empty stomach, then after trying to get to sleep after a while, I would start to get very hungry, and then that hunger would actually keep me awake. So I found that if I'm in a period where I'm struggling to sleep, then having eating just an, something um, very light, like an apple, about an hour or 30 minutes before bedtime, didn't disrupt my sleep like like snacks would. But also, if I did wake up, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't be tempted to start snacking in the middle of the night. So go to bed on an empty stomach, but not too empty. 
Number nine is get enough exercise during the day. The, there's, this is both because it, it helps you deal with stress better, but also it just helps you um, get rid of some nervous energy, and it also helps you produce more healthy energy. So you don't want to, generally, you probably don't want to exercise in the hour or two before bedtime, but if you're exercising in the morning, that's a great time to exercise, or even at lunchtime or after work, something like that. Um, getting some exercise during the day did help me get better sleep at night. And then last one, number 10, is avoid eating too much sugar, grains, or refined carbohydrates. You might say, what in the world does that have to do with sleep? But there's something about what those foods do. Uh, First of all, there's a a lot of nutritional evidence that having too much sugar, grains, or refined carbs can hurt you your efforts to maintain a healthy weight but they have all sorts of other side effects too one of which is not sleeping as well and i first learned that way back when i in the 90s when i tried the atkins diet for the first time that the author dr atkins predicted that you would sleep better if you cut uh, those things out of your diet or at least minimize them and i did find that to be true so it was these uh, these last five tips that um, made a difference for me. Plus, th- this last time, plus as I was sort of reviewing what the situation was, I, I know I realized that I had allowed some other bad habits to to creep in. Like I wasn't getting up at the same time every morning, and um, I wasn't avoiding the snacks before bedtime. So just kind of having a list like that and reviewing those can maybe help you determine what is causing the problem, but also uh, it, it, just trying one of these or two of these things may help you get better sleep if, if you get into one of those episodes. So if you've never tried a natural remedy like Calm's Forte, this may be your time to give that a try. So hopefully this information about the importance of sleep and tips about how to get better sleep will help you to be a better leader. But I also encourage you, if you are a leader, then you keep this this information in mind regarding the people that you work with. Encourage them to get enough sleep. If you notice uh, people that seem sleep deprived, help them to dispel some of those myths and encourage them. Look, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a worthwhile investment to get a, a decent sleep and heaven forbid, make sure if you are the type of leader that's maybe putting a lot of pressure on your folks or a lot of stress, uh, make sure that they're, that they, you help them manage their priorities so they don't think that sleep is a lower priority item that they should skimp on it because that's not doing them a favor and it's not doing you a favor because they ultimately will not be as productive for you. All right, Game Changers, that wraps up today's episode. You can find the links that I mentioned in our show notes for this episode, which will be at engagingleader.com forward slash 83 as in episode 83. This is a production of Asmodale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 
This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.